What's up, y'all? A little faith, and welcome to episode number twelve of the Fagnostic Podcast, bro. I'm your host, Matt Hayes, and if I'm still giving you episodes, it means that I am still searching for answers. Today, I have queer mindset coach and founder of QueerConscious.com, Nathan Serrato. Similar to most gay men in the states, Nathan was brought up to feel guilt around many parts of his identity as he was raised at the Catholic and Lutheran churches. As he grew older, he became angry and resentful towards religion, family, and friends. He became lost and alone. Mom, Dad, where are you guys? As a result, turned to alcohol and unhealthy relationships to cope with the pain. I don't know what you're talking about. While accepting, these communities often perpetuated the abusive coping mechanisms that he had turned to. Same girl. But it wasn't until discovering timeline therapy that he was able to truly move beyond the religious and sexual trauma of his past. He was finally able to deprogram the fear and shame. Finally able to find stable relationships and repair those that had been broken in the past. Finally done trying to fit into what he thought it meant to be gay. Today he's happier in his skin than ever. As an ICF certified life coach, Reiki practitioner, and master practitioner in timeline therapy, hypnotherapy, and neurolinguistic programming, he now helps free queer people from the shame prisons that are holding them back from claiming the fulfilling careers and relationships that they are worthy of. By the end of this episode, you'll learn how you can schedule a vision strategy session to find out what blocks might be holding you back. I'm a client of Nathan's, and it brings me so much joy to introduce him to all y'all. Welcome, Nathan. Makes me want a hot dog real bad. Nathan, I'm so excited you're here today. So every episode starts off with two questions. The first being, are you a believer? Yes, I'm a believer in something greater, something beyond, and I'm a believer in the unknown. I like that. A believer in the unknown. Because oftentimes we want to know what we believe in in order to believe in it. Yeah. But you no, leave I it open. I don't need to know. I just know I believe in oh. yeah, that unknown. And we I'm, are, I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> we, are, we are two different beings because I need to know. Uh, and this, the second question is, can you just identify your pronouns for us so we don't assume anything? Yes. Thank you. Uh, they, them. Awesome. Awesome. You're my newly acquired queer life coach. (laughs) Um, And we're going to talk about that uh, in this episode and what it is that you do so well and what you've done for me as well. Um, We actually are going to have, we just decided this before we hit record that we're going to have the follow-up to my, to my session, my NLP session with you in this episode. Um, So my listeners can hear um, what the trauma exercise was that I worked on with you um, and how it's going now. So I'm not even going to tell you uh, how it's going now until we get there. I know. And I'm so excited. I'm like on the edge of my seat wanting to hear how it's all integrating. So yeah, what if it's like a total crash and burn? Like I'm smiling right now, but then we get there and you're like, oh God, we should, we should, can someone check on him? Like after this airs? Um, <laughs> no, don't say that. You're free from that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I am. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm really happy you're here. Uh, we met probably a year and a half ago towards the beginning of the pandemic uh, shutdown um, when we or did the like a, a, a faith panel basically for LGBTQ. Um, and that's where I met you for the first time digitally. We've not met in person yet, um, but I feel like we have because I've seen your face on the ether so many times. But uh, where are you? What do you do? What, what is queer conscious? Yeah, so my name is Nathan Serrato. I live in North County, San Diego. And queer conscious is all about exploring the queerdom of what's possible in the queerdom, restraining and uh, ref- Freeing yourself from the cultural prisons that we put ourselves in so that you can bring your authentic self into any situation, into heteronormative society, into homonormative society, and just be yourself. I like that. And did you coin the term queerdom? Queerdom. I, I think I just did. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So I'm going to be using queerdom uh, and I will always give you full credit. Uh, but how did you get into this? Did, it, did, did you come from a place of being raised religiously? Um, being in, in the San Diego area, I would imagine so, just because that's one of the more conservative city centers of California. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, my parents are from, well, my dad's from like a rural town in Mexico. Um, my mom's from Tijuana, but they grew up very Catholic, very religious. And so we we did switch along the way to Lutheran, which is like Catholic light. <laughs> so And also a lot more progressive, right? I'm on the part of the Lutheran side that's not oh, so okay. <laughs> so not the accepting. Um, uh-huh. So 
basically, I just grew up with a lot of Catholic guilt around my sexuality, around everything. And yeah, I, there was a point in one of my relationships where, you know, I would turn to him in the middle of the night and be like, babe, I can't be with you. I'm, I'm going to go to hell. I have to be straight. And, and I realized I had a lot of work to do healing. So I just went on that journey, did my yoga trainings. I went to Lightning in a Bottle, the music festival to try and find healing. You know, I, I did everything that I could. Uh, so wait, I, I, did you, because it seems like it was a pretty easy transition from you for that growth period. So did you not go through like, I mean, you're younger than I am, but I feel like men of my age and older, like the first step is like just getting rid of the suicidal thoughts of the, of the, the gay trauma. And then you get to the growth and yoga and exploration later on. How did you get to that part so fast? Yeah, I'm skipping ages 17 to 23. Do you want to okay. hear? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just love, I love drama and I love trauma. So I want to hear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it. 17 to 23. So I came out at 17, then went back in the closet at 18. And I was like, Oh fuck, this is scary. <laughs> I have to embrace this identity. I don't even know if I want to be straight. Um, so there's a lot of drinking. Um, a lot of smoking weed. I'm still there. Wasting my life away. <laughs> but, I'm still well, there. I, I love weed. I love, <laughs> but I was there's, doing- there's a, there's a way to use it as a tool and not as a vice. Exactly. I'm, I, I'm, again, that makes me sound like I'm at the place where I use it as a tool and not a vice, but I don't. I use it as a vice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's no shame, no blame. Like, <laughs> right? Um, for me, like it was literally just wake up. Like I need weed. I need, I need to. Smoke. Oh, wow. You were a wake and baker. Oh yeah. And I, I always, do you remember those commercials? Um, it's shake and bake. And I helped that were on back in the nineties. Okay. It was, it was like one of those meal kits that every like, you know, newly working mother would use to get dinner on the table really quickly after work at night. And there was this little girl and I, I'm sure they filmed it in the South, but she, the advertisement was like, it's shake and bake. And I helped. And so I always, when I think about my friends who are wake and bakers, I always think about like that, that, that jingle, like it's, I waked and baked and you helped or something to that effect. You can go back and check it out after this. I'm going to look it up and yeah, yes, (laughs) but it's helpful for sure. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I mean, I was, oh yeah, smoking weed every, every day. That was my life. And then, and then I put on this persona too, like, cause I hung out with a lot of you know, these, these kids that were smoking weed and skating. And so I was like this, like, bro, and I was tough and I loved my hip hop music. And I was just like, I was just down. I was just a down dude. It was so cool. Can, <laughs> I cannot imagine you as that. Cause you have such a light, like almost airy spirit. I don't know what your sign is, but like an airiness to you. And oh, so yeah. it's so interesting. Cause I, I, and I also see you as such a, a free spirit, like your social media and we'll plug that in a minute too like you do pole dancing and you'll wear like stripper heels and like living your most authentic fluid life. I feel like in terms of like clothing expression, I know that's not one of like the letters, but you know, I just feel like you are so like, <sighs> yeah, believe it or not. I didn't always used to let myself do that. I repressed all of that. Mm. I was like, trying a, to- like a good little Catholic boy. Yes. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to go to hell <laughs> and I wanted to impress my brother and my brother, you know, he did a lot of graffiti art. And so he was in that community and stuff. So like, we're very, very different. Um, wow. but you, you read me. I'm definitely an air sign. I am a Gemini. <laughs> so yeah, all that air though was repressed. degree. Mm-hmm. Did you ever and- watch the movie girls will be girls? No, it's like, a, like, a, these are two things you have homework on now. Um, <laughs> Girls Will Be Girls is like a queer cult classic, gay cult classic film, kind of loosely based on All About Eve, I think. Um, and it's all drag queens. And there's one of the, the drag queen villains is a Gemini and somebody's getting onto her about her Gemini-ness. And she says, like, uh, you say Gemini like it's a bad thing. And so, and I've only, like Gemini's, are, that's like June or July birthdays, right? June. Yeah. Okay. And most of my boyfriends have been Gemini's and ain't none of them working out. So I'm really anti-Gemini right now. Um, but, uh, yeah, but so I always, when I break up with these boyfriends who are Gemini's, I always say, you know, you say Gemini, like it's a bad thing. Well, it is. So <laughs> okay, but not, the, not with you though. You're a good. One. You haven't met an emotionally intelligent Gemini. Well, now you have, but I've not met an emotionally intelligent boyfriend period, but yes. <laughs> oh, 
But yeah, there's where, where were we? <laughs> uh, I, see, I'm now I'm like a, I'm I'm adopting your Gemini ness, and now I'm becoming airy and aerial, um, <laughs> flighty, and in the ether. Um, where were we? So, uh, so you were just describing the some of the trauma that you did go through in trying to conceal yourself for the for the appeasement of others and and perhaps religion as well. Yes, yes, absolutely. So there's just repression of my my airy spirit um, yeah. from 17 to 23, and it was just bad. I hated my parents. My parents and I didn't get along at all. I was a dick to them. They didn't understand me. Like all that. And Wh- where um, are you guys now? Are y'all are y'all cool now? Yeah, they're like my besties. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. And they yeah. and they are, are even with Catholic upbringing, they are still proud and, and happy and, and supportive and affirming. You know, pride. I wouldn't know if I would say proud. They're getting there to yeah. pride. No, they're definitely proud of me. I don't know if they're proud of my sexuality. Sure. <laughs> well, that's what, you know, I, I, I'm a big proponent on this show because when I came out, I gave a lot of people around me as much time as they needed to come around. And for some of them, it took, you know, well over a decade. And I think that, I mean, as hard as it is for us to come out to ourselves and then to our loved ones, we it, sometimes we have to allow that space for them too. So it, it sounds like you did that. And I just think it's really important to honor that when to, to let, it's, there's no timeline for anyone's involvement and we can't force it. We can merely facilitate it. Yeah. It's been like this back and forth thing over the decade, like every year of me learning to accept where they are. And then me also having courageous conversations with them. I'm like, you can't say this, this is mm-hmm. fucked up. You can't tell me yeah. not to hold hands with my boyfriend in front of my family. Like that's not okay. So it's like this back and forth of being open and then courageous and telling them like, no, no, that's not going to fly with me. <laughs> so do you feel like your parents' growth was largely in part to your journey? 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was both of us. It was both of us for sure. But, um, I definitely had to get over myself quite a few sure. times and be like, do I want a relationship with them? Yes or no? Yes, yeah. I do. Okay. Then fucking put in the work. So I, I did. Yeah. And, and yeah. now you, and now you help others put in the work. So, so how did all this come to a place of you creating this concept of, of queer mindset coaching through queer conscious? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting story. I had just graduated college. I got my dream job. I was working in the environmental field for a nonprofit and um, doing communication for them. And I don't know, something, I was watching Queer Eye one day. I'm like, these, these queers, queer people are so amazing. I want to do something like that. And then I discovered life coaching. That was three years ago now. And I just signed up for a course and then another one and then another one. I'm like, oh, I'm getting this. And then a year ago, I jumped into it full time. And now I've been helping queer people just, you know, take ownership of their lives, take ownership of their relationships and who they are and take that power back. That must be very fulfilling to see that you are able to help people get to where they need to be in life, to be better humans, citizens of the world. Yeah, I I get very emotional (laughs) after most of these sessions, but I think that the best part about it is when they can get their, themselves there, mm-hmm. right? When you create the space for them to find the power and confidence within themselves, like, oh, I can do this. I have yeah. that power within me. I don't have to rely on you. Like, you're not this guru. You're like, I don't need this external. I have that power within me. Like when I get my clients to that point, I'm like, yes, yes, go mm-hmm. be free. Go fly. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, where... Did you retain any of your Catholicism or any of your Christian faith into where you are now? Hmm. <laughs> um, not in the dogmatic sense, but I have always connected to something bigger, to something yeah. beyond. And, and honestly, actually, a lot of the ritualistic practices of Catholicism um, I, I still hang on to that. I love setting intentional time, lighting candles. I love lighting incense and setting intentions because I think intention is where change starts. Absolutely. I love putting that energy out into the world. And I think at one point Catholicism really did have amazing, wonderful intentions. And I still think most people do within that religion, yet some of the dogmatic bureaucracy takes control and, and you forget what it's even about, which is really- And, just- and the child molesting. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The, 
that. But you know, but, but what you're talking about too, I feel like, cause there's bits about the Christian faith that I really value as well. Just not, you know, the, the Christians part. Um, but most of the things that I feel like I want to hold on to are things that were actually taken by the Christian tradition or the Jewish tradition, you know, from the Vedas or from wherever. I mean, they all have stolen these practices. I shouldn't say stolen. I, I trust that they, they were adopting uh, tradition and practice, but they're, they're founded elsewhere. And that's what I'm, I'm finding so fascinating right now is just in doing this podcast and having conversations with people all over the spectrum from every part of the world, believing in every type of God. It's all kind of the same thing. We're all pursuing this evolved status through connection to self, connection to divine with the hopes of leaving legacy and the world a better place. Yeah. yeah. It's a, I, I mean, it's not as simple as that, unfortunately, but that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing. And, and it, I, I think it could be like, if you ask those people, like, what is the purpose of your belief system? What is the purpose of your, your religion? Like if you ask them what the purpose is up here, it's all about love and enlightenment and being your best self. Like that's all it is. But once you get down to the details, you cause so much rift and strife and wars and, you know, all the things that we don't like about religion. Right. So trickle down economics doesn't work. Trickle down religion doesn't work. Yeah. Um, Great. Noted. Um, so, so how did you, I mean, cause queer, the website is queerconscious.com. Um, and, and that's where we can find all the information about you, but how did that, I mean, that's when you committed to this full time is when you created that concept. Is that right? Um, well, I created a, the concept three years ago. Um, and then I had been coaching a little bit here and there with my full-time job, but then it quit one year ago and just, I was like, no, this is it. I'm ready to, to do this full time. So I have been, so, yeah. You're so young to have taken like a professional leap of faith like that. That's so impressive. I, wow. That's so is, cool. Is 30 young? Do uh, we... I mean, to me it is. Okay. Good. <laughs> but you I'm also, not... you, you clearly have a great moisturizer because I did not know that you were even close to 30. Yeah. We've got some good genes. My, my grandma, she's, she's still like walking around. She's like in her nineties. Like she's. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know who doesn't have good genes? Gingers like myself. Um, our skin, like every day, I'm just like, nothing is like bouncing back where it used to. It's like, I don't know. I'm, um, I'm having a lot of mirror issues right now. <laughs> I, um, I'm really OCD about things not being on my like bathroom counter, like on my vanity. And over the past, like three or four months, I've just started collecting skincare products. Like every time I go to Marshall's or Ross, you know, TJ Maxx, and they have just discounted magical ointments and I just buy them all. So every day I'm just like lathering myself in different, I don't even know what I'm putting on my body, but it can't be worse <laughs> than what I'm putting in my body. So here's, here's hoping. Um, <laughs> so, so if someone were to come to you and say, I don't feel like I am my best self. What, 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 what do you do through queer conscious to help them get to that place? Yeah. Well, well, first I figure out what the real problem is. Like people will come to me and they'll bring something up like, Oh, I don't get along with my parents or, Oh, I don't like my job or my boyfriend and I aren't having problems. And I'm like, okay, cool. That's the presenting problem. And what I do is, is with my ICF coaching, I coach them down to what their actual problem is. And so when we get down underneath those layers, when they stop projecting on other people, we recognize that there is a belief that they have about themselves that is stopping them from either creating boundaries or creating the life that they want to have. What do you, what do you call that belief? Um, I call it, I actually call it a limiting decision. Okay. Because there was a point in time where they didn't have that belief and they decided that that belief was true <gasps> by calling it a decision. Then that gives them the opportunity to take ownership of it. Oh, I was going to say it establishes control or at least the, uh, the potential for control over that decision. <gasps> okay. Cause that's so, cause I, to the limiting belief is a triggering word or triggering phrase for me because you hear it in the most sincere sanctified of concepts, but you also hear it in like, the worst cults that we watch documentaries about on Netflix, you know, mm -hmm. like Scientology. And I, I don't mean, I, I think everything can 
be good for some people. So I don't want to paint with a broad stroke, even though I do love painting with a broad stroke. But like, you know, Nexium cult, um, they all describe this idea of the limiting belief or conflicting beliefs. And I love that you call it a limiting decision. Yeah, because it allows you also to go back to to go back to that point in time, reclaim and then do the work. Exactly. Ah, that's sick. And then and then so what I love about it, too, is that it gives them that independence where they're not then, you know, putting themselves in a situation where they're relying on the therapist or the life mm-hmm. coach to solve their problems. Oh, I decided this. I have the power. That's what it's about. It's giving back, giving queer people back their power to make new choices in their life. So and it they, takes a, it takes away the martyrdom too. You know, I mean, how often do we let these, what we once called limiting beliefs completely just beat us down to where we have to rebuild ourselves just to get to a place of being able to correct that. But if, if there's an active association to the decision, I'm, this is mind blowing. I love that phrase. And I'm going to tell everyone that uses that phrase, limiting belief around me to fuck off and use this one instead. <laughs> Love it. Yes. So limiting decision. And, and I, I will say, though, I have to ease into that sometimes. Some, sometimes people aren't ready to take ownership of that. Yeah. Um, they they want to just say, oh, it's a belief system I have, and they want to put it externally, and they're not ready to take ownership. So we kind of build them up for them to recognize, oh, it was a decision. And then once we get to that point, then we get to question that. When Then we get to heal it. When did they first decide that? And that's when I use timeline therapy. We go back, we heal that, we reframe it, get their learnings, and then they can move forward. And it's it's so unconscious, this belief system, this decision, that when you're going out through your life, like things will just shift, things will just happen. You're like, oh, I used to think that way, but I'm going to go over here. Like it becomes a new automatic for you. Hmm. Would you say that it has, that your practice involves a form of hypnosis? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So I am trained in hypnotherapy as well. And I mostly use hypnotherapy towards the end of our sessions. And that just helps reinforce these learnings. But through hypnosis, you get to deeper parts of the brain, the parts of the brain that hold on to traumas and belief systems and habits, because your conscious mind, yeah, you know that you're not, you're not worthless, or you know, you're not undeserving, you're, you know, you're not unlovable. But that part of the brain that holds on to that, that has that fear, that's where hypnosis can tap into those parts. What are some of the most common limiting decisions you see in your clients? Mm. Um, I'm unlovable, comes up all the time. And actually, that reminds me of Alan Downs. There's a quote around uh, in the Velvet Rage around mm-hmm. being unlovable. Basically, every queer person has that belief that they're unlovable. Yep. yep. Um, Thanks, God. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I'm unlovable. You know, what comes up a lot is I'm weak. I'm weak. People are mad at themselves for not having been stronger, for not being able to fight back to against the oppression. Mm -hmm. So they hang on to this belief that I'm weak and I can't, I can't have this power. I'm scared of this power. Why do you think they're scared of the power? To me, that would be empowering to then learn that you can make these changes instead of victimizing yourself and just throwing your hands up. Yeah. I think there, there's two reasons people would be scared of their power. One is because of guilt. They're afraid of stepping into a place of power and becoming what they once despised. Mm-hmm. Right? right. Can you repeat that? Mm-hmm. They're afraid of stepping into the power and becoming the person they once despised. Ah, oh, that's heavy. Yeah becoming the oppressor in the situation. Like they're like, Oh, I don't want to, if I have power, I become that person that I hate. Mm-hmm. And that's then the, really interesting. Yeah. And then the other reason is they're afraid of losing themselves. They're afraid of losing those parts of themselves that, you know, they didn't attach to power, the part of themselves that's soft and sensitive and gentle and compassionate. Like, can I be those things and still have power? And the answer is yes. Yeah. <laughs> Because what what it is, is also people that are not um, spiritually or intellectually evolved, maybe it's just kind of being content in your own misery. To me, the addiction to trauma sounds a little more activating for me to get off my ass and do something about it. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. There's also a lot of safety there. A lot of familiarity because you go through life experiencing, you know, oppression through family society and to be safe, 
you hang on to these beliefs, you hang on to these negative thoughts and emotions as trauma, that keeps you safe. Then you don't have to go and do anything about it. You don't have to confront anyone. You don't have to go out and, you know, risk your, your, your safety in order to find what you want in life. So, and that growth's uncomfortable. I mean, I, I get it. There's the work that we did that, which, which we'll talk about next required, you know, and granted the things I did as my homework were not like the hardest things to do, but it still like was impactful on my soul. Like it, it had some emotions attached to it, you know? So what is, so the, the process for this, this session work that you do, is it typically just a, 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 a three hour, a one-time situation? Is it a week by week, you know, journey that you go on them with? Like what's, what's the, what's the specs? Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to vary for whoever comes through, but and, and just how fucked up they are. <laughs> no one's fucked up. <laughs> I mean, that's, well, just, that's, just, that's just me projecting. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so typically it's, it's about a 12 hour, um, 12 hours of work that I would do with a client. Um, if we're going to do like a full, a full transformation in a certain area of your life, let's say you want to heal your relationships or your family or spirituality. Um, I think 12 hours would be ideal because then we spend the first part of it just interviewing the person, getting down to their deepest traumas, fears, doubts, limiting decisions. Then we know what to work with. Then we spend about, you know, six to eight hours doing releases. And then of course we break these up into different sessions. Um, And then the last session is really about focusing on what you want. How are we going to get you there? What are those goals and how can we build evidence now that you've moved on from this? So now, now you have proof. You're like, oh, wow, I never would have done this before had I not healed this. And now I can go and live my life the way I want to. Mm. You make it sound so simple. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, it, and, and you're right. It really is. It's those first steps that are the hardest. I mean, it's, it's like, I keep going back to the addiction concept, but it's like any other addiction. It's, those, it's that first night. It's that first step or that first non-step that is often the hardest. But thankfully, I mean, you have got such a warm welcoming spirit about you, even through the digital medium that I imagine you automatically set people at ease when they first encounter you. At least it did for me. Thank you. I'd like to think I do. And, and I think that's really important because you're not going to go into the deepest, darkest pits of whatever is blocking you if you don't feel safe. And so that is 100% my, my core value in creating a space of healing is to make sure that people feel seen and heard, understood and safe that I'm not going to touch them for anything that they say. (laughs) Right. So you and I did a session um, and I was more like a part of your like coursework, like getting your, your platform off the ground. um, And you invited me to participate in that. And I'm really grateful because even the, and granted, I, my schedule is so all over the place right now that I did not get to do it according to your timeline, but you were still gracious enough to fit me in otherwise. Um, But uh, even the pre-work packet that you sent, just the questionnaire was so eye-opening to me and and things that I already know, but I suppress or put in the back of my mind. Cause again, it's difficult to make those adjustments and, and, and check in with those parts of yourself. But I remember finishing the packet and just being like, I have work to do. Like even in in my day-to-day where I think like, I'm good, like I'm making it, I'm doing the best I can. I'm happy for the most part. You know, I love people sometimes, Um, you know, I I was like, oh my gosh, like this isn't just, you know, a friend helping a friend out with their studies and like getting their brand off the ground. This is actually like, I need this. So we did our, um, we started our, 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 and I think it's from what I recall, it seemed like you thought we were going to be working with a different type of trauma. And I think I probably did too, but it quickly became about one particular ex-boyfriend of mine that, um, which speaks to a larger idea of of self-love and the ability to love others as well. And the kind of love that you want to attract. Um, But I was pretty adamant once we got into it of like, no, this is, this is where, and you kept to make sure that that was the right track for us to go through. You kept pushing the other side, like, well, are you sure it's not this? Are you sure it's not that? I was like, no, no, it's this. Um, so <laughs> we talked about my ex-boyfriend who, um, just, and I, you know, no names or like anything given away, but like he, he was the love of my life and probably still is like one of the great loves of my life, 
um, in a way that I can honor and, and appreciate without letting it inform my future. I mean, it will inform my future relationships in terms of what I learned from that. But um, I was holding on to that, the trauma brought by that relationship, again, addicted to that trauma. And I was holding on to it because it felt safe. And it was the only love that I could really feel in my body. But I will say this, that that love was and when we met on cruise ships back in 2000, I think we met 2013 um, on one of my cruise ships when I was singing, uh, he was a dancer. It was the first man that I had ever loved that I thought God would honor our love, that God would accept our love. And that was back when I was trying to retain remnants of the Christian faith. Um, but that was really, that was a big deal for me to feel like I could stand at an altar with this man and make a promise to the divine to honor and love them. Yeah. And so that is, that is so huge because it's not just a relationship, mm -hmm. right? It's your relationship with the divine and the acceptance of your identity in that relationship. Now that we've, we've attached all this different meaning mm -hmm. to that one person. And that's why it was so hard for you. Yep. And real quick too, just cause I, I like to keep things light as a yeah. gay man referencing the divine. I only see the drag queen. God rest her soul. And I wish instead of like that hot man with abs up on the cross with a thorn on his head, that we were, we had like a, a nice stained glass window of the divine in all the churches across the world. I might be more, um, more regularly attending and sitting in pews if that were the case. I can't believe you just said hot man up on the cross. <laughs> well, you've seen him. I mean, <laughs> Jesus was part of my gay awakening. Seeing oh, him yeah. Church half naked. I'm like, what's underneath that loincloth? <laughs> I know. And I'm staying at a resort this weekend in Palm Springs where I will be wearing nothing but a loincloth as well. Yes. Um, <laughs> there's no such thing as a ginger Jesus, unless, I don't know, probably, I'm sure there's some church in the South who's got a ginger Jesus up on their crucifix. But anyway, ca carrying on. Um, so we address the trauma of, uh, uh, or the trauma that me and my ex-boyfriend participated in together. Um, and, and it was real, I mean, I'm not a crier. I take Lexapro every day to prevent me from crying. Um, and, but I, during our session, there were two times that I had, I didn't break down, but that I was like, Oh God, I've not felt water coming from my eyes in a long time. Um, but what it was, it was from the emotion that I felt in appreciating what was with that relationship and letting it go. And that made me emotional because I had never let it go. Mm. And it was, I mean, I, I, to be quite honest and I, no disrespect, I went into it not very open in my, I mean, I was not, I was just like, yeah, this is going to be a thing that I do. Like I love Nathan. I, you know, I love elevating queer voices. I love, you know, I love doing the work or so I thought, but then we got into it and I realized, Oh my gosh, like this is really impacting my happiness. It was heavy, um, but you gave me homework. Um, and my homework, uh, just full disclosure, uh, was to, I had two pieces of clothing that I had from when we were, uh, we, we were together and we were together years ago. And then we split, he got married. And then throughout, I don't even know if I should say this, but we have since revisited each other um, in what one might call um, I don't know. I always called myself his mistress, but he didn't like that. Um, but I had two pieces of clothing that just made me, you know, I, I, it's like a dog with a scent, you know, like, it, there's something about that clothing that just made me feel warm and, and, but made me feel the warmth that I once had, but kept me from being able to experience the warmth that I hope to have someday. And so my homework was to burn those two pieces of clothing. I'm just kidding. It wasn't to burn. Um, it was just to get rid of them either through donation or sitting to one of our mutual friends just to let them know that I, I, I'm doing the work to move on. Um, and so I did send those two articles of clothing back to Las Vegas um, to a friend. And they, when I told them, they were like, why don't you just give it to Goodwill or something? And I was like, because you have been a part of this trauma, not like as a blame, but like, you have witnessed it. And I want to show you that like, I'm doing the work and this, so it means a lot for me to, for you to take this, to recognize that like, I can let this go now. I, I, I'm in the process. So anyway, um, they were very on board with it when I explained it that way. But um, yeah, so I, I do feel very proud that I was able to, to do that. Cause I always, always in the back of my mind, even in 
dating other people, but what if they come back? But what if they leave their husband again? You know, and that limiting decision to commit to that possibility kept me from being able to even actively look for a partner if there was always that contingency or that potential for contingency. So um, I really appreciate the work that we did because it was wildly helpful in the moment and it has since been wildly helpful. Um, I've, 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 there's a guy that I've gone out with a couple of times now and I am able to see, I see the, the potential of dating men in a different light now. I've not once thought of this ex-boyfriend while I've been with these other people. So, so me being present, just that alone is a much more rewarding experience for me to be feeling when I'm on a date. And I, I hope for the other person as well. I can't speak for how people enjoy or don't enjoy me. Um, <laughs> but it was very helpful. Matt, that is beautiful. I'm so excited for you for one. Yeah. That you don't have to be thinking about your ex on these dates. That sounds awful. <laughs> I know. Well, it was. It wasn't just the dates. It was all day, every day, because I made sure to have little things around my house to remind me of him. Because it was the only. It's the last time that I truly loved someone, and so, you know, one of the limiting decisions. That's my new catchphrase for everything that's not <laughs> apropos in my life. Um, you know, it, one of the limiting decisions that I had was. I don't know if I can love again, because if that's what love was and it wasn't real, then love must not be real either as a whole. So it, it's, it's a, I mean, there have, are there things that will trigger a memory? Absolutely. But because of, I mean, the work that we did truly, that's why I asked if you would honor the fact that there was hypnosis associated with it, because we got into a place in my brain and my soul that I was not able to access on my own, that was preventing me from being able to just release. And that release, I mean, days go by and I don't think of him. And uh, granted, I'm thinking about him right now because I'm talking shit about him, but, uh, <laughs> but no, but I, I truly mean that. Like there have, I have felt lighter and freer in a way as it relates to relationships than I ever have. Wow. Wow. I've, I've not, heard anyone say it quite like that. And, and I'm, I'm moved and, and the, I mean, just, just hearing back what you said is, is that we got to a place in your soul, right. That was hanging on to this. Mm -hmm. And, and I really believe that because again, the, the meaning that you attached to him was not just a partner of love. It was love worthy of the divine worthy mm -hmm. of being accepted and a part of yourself. So that's the part that we got to uproot and hold up where now you have gratitude for having mm -hmm. had the experience. And yes. that's where the emotion was coming up in that gratitude. And the beautiful thing about gratitude was when you're in a place of gratitude, you can't hang on to any negative emotions. Well, I beg to differ. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I know you're right. Well, in that moment, I bet right. you... you were, <laughs> Any I know. I I, uh, I do like my my gratitude journal in the morning. I have it right here next to me right now, actually, and um, I laugh because sometimes it becomes less gratitude journal and more just like stream of consciousness or automated writing. And uh, so sometimes we like, you know, the flowers, the air, my body, my family. Fuck this world! Like, what is the wrong? You know, I, my journal is my journal probably needs some kind of like benzo or something to to deal with its manic behavior. But anyway, that's another. That's another session. I'll book you later. <laughs> well, we're, we're always going to have negative emotions, right? I know. But, but I mean, just in that true sense of gratitude, when we're really in that place, it's, it becomes very, very difficult to hang on to any negative emotion. And, yeah. and I don't, I'm just, I'm just so excited for you that now, well, let me ask you this now, what do you think has been the biggest shift for you in how you see your future with love? It's possible. It's possible outside of him. And I, and I could not, that was, that wasn't even like something that I hid from myself. That was just a fact that I adopted. It was a limiting decision that I concreted or cemented in my body that there was no possibility of love without him. And now I know not just as it possible, but it's, it's undeniable. Wow. And that's freeing. That's another step of the, of the, of the liberation of this process that we went through. Wow, that's that's beautiful. I'm getting chills just like hearing that, Matt. That's amazing. 
Well, I'll let you know when the wedding is. I got <laughs> <Well, laughs> it. Truly, thank you. Thank you for just like being open to that and letting me hold space for you through that. Because again, yeah, I show up and I, I hold the space, but you have to go in and do the work. You have to yeah. be willing to let go of that. You have to be willing to take those clothes and send them you know, to Vegas to prove yeah. to yourself, hey, I'm over this. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to find love elsewhere. Yeah. And not just find love elsewhere, find love. Because yes. if that's what I thought, I mean, like I can appreciate that for what it was, but that wasn't my love. It, mm-hmm. it, it, I almost just said it lewed me up for love because I, I like alliterations, but um, it, like it, it, it prepped me from <laughs> prep lube. <laughs> oh my God, I did it again. Oh God, I'm so gay. Um, I'm, I need to be gayer though. That's why I came to Palm Springs this weekend. Um, anyway, um, something, and this, I wasn't planning on talking about this today, but um, getting back to the idea of, of, of the soul work that I, we were just kind of briefly skating the surface on, um, I've been reading, I just read this fascinating book about, um, by Abby Chava Stein, who is a, a, a reformed Judaism rabbi activist speaker. And she was formerly a, an ultra Orthodox rabbi in the Hasidic community as a, as a man. And then she left not just the Hasidic community, but also came out as trans. And so, um, and one of the things that helped her and cause she did um, seek to save her, her religion within herself and Kabbalah really helped her facilitate that. And there's a, um, there's a rabbi who's, who is, is well known, I think in the, in the Kabbalistic, is that the right terminology? Um, who basically talks about the reincarnative, reincarnative aspect of our souls and that, you know, it's very common for souls to be disassociated from body in terms of, of sexual identity or exp- expression. And I found it so fascinating and it sent me down a spiral. And I just have been journaling for days now about this idea that are we not all non-binary to a point and that our souls are completely, and this is coming from a very, I mean, a clearly cisgender individual myself, like who still like wants to look and act butch as I can as a gay man. But like, there's something about it that I, I really am wondering, are we not all non-binary to a point, at least in, in, in conception? Um, Cause our souls and our bodies are not one. I mean, they are in this lifetime, but that's it. It's just this lifetime. And I mean, if you think about, well, I mean, I, I really think more people would identify as non-binary if they knew what it, what it meant. And it's yeah. restriction from the, freeing yourself from the restrictions of, of gender construct, yeah. which are placed upon us mostly by society. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. some biological aspects to it, yet most of it is societal. Like the color pink was not even used as a girl color until, you know, the industrial revolution when they're like, oh, we can capitalize off the color pink for girls. Mm-hmm. It was just a color. Right. We decided as humans that it was a girl color and we can decide that it's not. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I, um, you know, when, when and I and I consider myself an ally of the trans community. But when you know, I started seeing bills be put forth in, in Congress for, um, you know, for birth certificates to remove the gender label. Um, my, when it first started, I was like, oh my gosh, like that's a slippery slope. I don't know if we can do that. But now as I'm at an age where, and now because of our session work, I'm prepared to meet my partner, um, and then look towards becoming a father, which is one of my biggest goals in life. I am terrified to fuck that kid up just by circling an M or an F on their birth certificate. I mean, it's very present in my mind when I think about having kids. And so now I am of the mindset of like, you know what, like, you, we can, we can create guideposts for life and like, and really explore all options, but I can't project my own limiting decisions on my offspring. Mm. That's uh, that, that really scares me. Mm. And, and I, I think what I'm hearing is like your own limiting decisions of what it means to be a man or a woman and not projecting that on the kids of the kid is free to just, yep. decide, just be a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, yep. Uh, even like, I mean, you're close to Palm Springs. You come to Palm Springs a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I only reference Palm Springs right now because I'm literally sitting here in Palm Springs. I just got here today for a few days of some mental health vacation, but 
even case in point, you know, it, I, just so all my listeners know, if gays go to Palm Springs, there's only two pieces of wardrobe you have to bring, a Speedo and a caftan. That's it. Um, and so, of course, I brought my Speedos, but I also brought my caftans, caftans of, of which are known to be feminine. And even in my packing of my caftans, I was like, oh, I, I think I had a thought of like, you know, girly or feminine. And I was like, but why? Just because every TV show I watched as a kid, only women wore caftans? Because like they're comfortable and they're pretty. And like, sure, we do it to like embrace our femininity. But like, why is that an expression of us expressing our femininity? Rather than just like wanting to be, I don't know, blowing in the breeze and exactly. side. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, we've we've hit on things that I did not think we were going to hit on in this in this episode. This is fun. We I feel like we're just just two people just chatting about life and love and other mysteries. Isn't <laughs> just what podcasts are? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, so what could you tell someone? Cause I, I already have one friend uh, who I, I've told, I mean, I've told many people about my experience working with you through this, uh, this trauma work. But um, I, one of my friends was like, uh, I need to do this. So how can someone book you? How can someone research you? Like where, how can we get you plugged? Okay. Okay. So I would say you could follow me on Instagram at queer conscious and that's where you'll see the most updates about what, what's going on with me. Um, and then from there, you can go to my website, queerconscious.com. And it's C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S. Not conscience, conscious, conscious, queer conscious. No N, <laughs> queerconscious.com. And um, you can book a free one-on-one call with me. And there we just do kind of a, a vision strategy to see if what I offer can help you how it can help you and what it looks like to work together. Um, so yeah, do it. Go now. What's stopping you? Well, I know what's stopping them. It's their limiting decisions. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, I will, I mean, I feel like I've given you a good testimonial on this episode by um, saying how much your work in, or our work impacted uh, my present, but y'all, if there's anything you want to work on, like, I mean, this is so much, this is so different than therapy. This is so different than getting on a Lexapro regimen. Not that any of those things are bad or, or the wrong choice to make, but if there's, there's no such thing as too much work on the self. And if this is another tool that you can use, I really encourage you to, to pursue this because it, it, I do a lot of work on myself and there was still something preventing me from moving past that. And this got me past that. So now I can look at the, uh, you know, other issues that I want to work on um, with other means or you or whatever. But um, I just, I loved this, the, the session work that we did. I felt so safe with you. Um, I, I'm so thankful that the universe introduced us to one another over a year ago. Um, it, I just feel so fortunate. So y'all please go check them out. Um, any, go again. Oh, I was just going to say th thank you. Thank you for, for having me. Thank you for the beautiful testimonial. Thank you for plugging me in. And I just wanted to share just with everybody here, right? It doesn't have to be just about your relationship, right? I, I do work with religious trauma, sexual trauma, um, gender dysphoria, anything that you have, um, we can decide together if um, that's something we can work on together. So yeah. So Nathan, if, if people are wanting to try you out, I know that we have like, you, you know, you talked about the consultation and stuff, but what else do you have coming up that we could perhaps um, be a part of? Yeah. So in September, I have a five day challenge and I have these about three or four times a year. So it's five days uh, where you get to spend uh, five webinars with me. You get three one-on-one -on -one calls with me and you do four meditations and it really brings up all the things that we, we talked about in this episode. Um, a lot of things that are intrinsic to the queer experience. It's $37. So, I mean, there's really- That's it? Yeah, that's it's only $37. And it's a great way just to introduce you to this work, to who I am. And um, I'd love for you all to join. Hell yeah, y'all better go do it. <laughs> so a couple questions to, to wrap this all up. Um, what would you say to- maybe not your younger self, but to some young queer youth who's either struggling because they're in a, in a religious situation or perhaps to a religious individual who is raising a queer child or a child who's exploring what it means to, to be non-binary or gay or lesbian or trans. 
There are four words that shook me as a teen, struggling with that very thing. Um, I was terrified that I was dirty, that I was a sinner, that God hated me. And I went to my very first therapist and I told him what was going on. He looked at me and he said, Nathan, God's not that mean. And I would just like explode into tears because I never thought that anybody in a position of power would be able to tell me that God is a loving, loving being. And having heard that was, it just, it changed my life and allowed me to explore what God actually means to me. I love that. God's not that mean. You know what my four words were that terrified me? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You're up to bat. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's worse. Uh, and then the next, the last question to, to wrap this all up with, if the divine, and you can choose if it's the divine, not the drag queen, it, it could be the divine that you experience now, or it could be the divine that you experienced as a kid before yeah. your, your trauma release. What would you say to the divine if they were standing before you right now? Okay. Can I, can I curse? Can I say a bad word? Yes. Everyone asks that. And I'm like, have y'all heard any word that I've said? Okay, so you sure? So I would look at him and say, "You sick fuck," and I would just laugh and crack a cold one open with him. Yep. But you you said you said him. Do you gender God? I did say him. Um, interesting. Um, I feel like in this moment, only a man could be that sick <laughs> to put us through. I love how you just turned that around on me. Oh, yeah. Uh, normally, I don't gender God. I, I do embrace a non-binary God. But yeah. in this moment, I'm like, you sick fuck. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 that's where I am, too. That's, I mean, hence this podcast. Um, awesome, awesome. Nathan, I value you so much. I want you all to go check him out. If there's any work to do, he can help you get there. I promise you. Um, it will not be a waste of your time. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. And all the people said, gay men. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Fagnostic Podcast hosted by me, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com. That's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com or on just the millennial socials at Hayes on it. H-A-Y-E-S on it. Please go subscribe, review, and share this podcast. And in the meantime, peace be with all y'all. Hi, Michael Spicer here. Matt Hayes forgot to put my name in the credits of his podcast as the composer, but I'm here to tell you that I wrote the music for his podcast. Whatever the f- it's called, I don't know. 